My name is Larry Elford. I'll be your moderator for today, and I'd like to thank you all for being here. The uh, uh, reminder is to turn off your cell phones so we don't have interruptions during the event. And a uh, reminder again that the session is being recorded and that lunch is $11. Please put $11 in the basket for each person at your table and have someone count it and make sure that everybody's uh, collected for or accounted for. Format for the meeting is 25 to 30 minutes for the presentation, lunch, and then a question period after that, finishing around 1.30. And it is my pleasure to, uh, to introduce our guest speaker for today. He's an artist, a lawyer, a teacher, and he has uh, stepped into each of those areas and also stepped back from each of those areas just slightly to... Uh, to look at a higher calling and he says that calling is a search for fairness in a number of areas. He works at the University of Lethbridge in Native American Studies and is also uh, going to work in the Faculty of Management in that effort and he works with the University of Waterloo as well. It's my pleasure to introduce Don McIntyre. Don. <laughs> Good afternoon. Uh, can everyone hear me? Excellent. So um, I'm going to bring this down just a bit. Uh, that way everyone can see me too, right? And you can still hear me? Uh, so my name is Don McIntyre. Uh, it's an honor to uh, be here. Uh, it's an honor to be uh, presenting uh, with uh, this audience. It's also an honor to be in Treaty 7 territories where I now carry on my work. Um, I am originally from a place called Temiskamine First Nation, uh, which is on the Ontario-Quebec border. Uh, I spent a number of years uh, in uh, the, on the West Coast uh, where, I where I studied law and practiced law, uh, and eventually from that I was adopted into the Nishka, the Beaver Clan of the Nishka Nation, uh, where I carved totem poles for a number of years. Um, so my, my art form is both uh, an East Coast uh, and a West Coast style. Um, the way my uncles always described being an artist or being a, an Ojibwe man was uh, my role is to show the world through Ojibwe eyes. Uh, and that has taken me on a, the most awesome of journeys. Uh, now at law school, I was told this is how you're supposed to present, that you put your hands on the podium and stand. Uh, I, at the, at the university now, I walk. I actually Fitbit and get all of my steps in by uh, moving back and forth across the stage, but I've been asked uh, to stay very close to here. So if I don't, uh, I ask you guys to sort of point me back push me back into. Uh, today I've been asked to talk about the historic treaties in Blackfoot territory. Uh, and this is an incredibly complex uh, area. There are some incredibly interesting things that I'm going to move us through very, very quickly. Some of the slides I'm not going to address completely, and that's because there are specific touch points, but there's all kinds of stuff around it and I have a very short amount of time. So, uh, what we're going to do uh, is we're going to start looking at Napi. Does everyone know who Napi is? 
Anyone? Hands? Okay, so Napi is, for those who don't, Napi is the trickster. Napi is also uh, the creator uh, in the Blackfoot uh, language. Uh, and they are two separate beings. Uh, so we're going to start by looking at Napi for just a second and the agreement that Napi had with the creator. Uh, we're going to look at what does the treaty look like, uh, the definitions, some definitions. Uh, the definitions are not going to be scary. Uh, everyone's like, oh no, I have to know stuff. It's like, no, uh, they're not going to be uh, scary definitions, but they will take us to a place where we can actually look at the treaties. And strangely enough, we can't look at Treaty 7 without looking at some treaties that happened before that. So we're going to look at the Lamary Treaty, the Lamebold Treaty, and then we're going to sort of come back to a place at the end uh, where we look at some, some confusion around the idea of what it is to seed land and what it is to seed land uh, and how that all addresses a meeting of the minds. You ready for a quick journey? All right. Um, so a treaty. Again, what I told you is I'm going to show you a lot of stuff. There's a lot of information. What we need to learn from this is the last part. A treaty is a contract between sovereign nations. Uh, now, we're going to look at what nation is, and we're going to look at what sovereign is. But basically, the important part out of all of this is that a treaty is a contract between sovereign nations. Everyone with me so far? It's not a, see, it's not hard. Um, now, an indigenous treaty, again, a contract or an agreement between nations, has all kinds of components. An indigenous treaty is actually recognized by the stories that are told around the agreement, uh, around the relationship that happened between the sovereign nations. It is about the songs that are created, uh, bundles in a number of territories, my territory and this territory, bundles are created to recognize. And when a bundle is opened, what they tell is that they're telling the story. So they open the bundle to tell the story uh, and the pieces. So sometimes there's stuff drawn inside. Sometimes there are stones and bones and markers of the relationship that occurred. Those are all tied up into the bundle and it's opened and the story is told and then we are told the bundle goes to sleep. Uh, now this is because the bundles are recognized as living agreements. They're alive like our contracts, like contracts when we look at the West. Um, one of the interesting ones, uh, or the last two that I have up here, are the parchments. So the parchments, when, when indigenous populations talk about the parchments, those are the agreements that came once we started to make agreements with the sovereign nations of the West. Uh, and they said, we want it on a piece of paper. And we said, okay, we'll add that to the bundle. And there are bundles that have the original parchments still inside. Uh, the other thing that happened a lot of times is the treaty coin. Now, when I'm teaching treaty, uh, I pull coins, and actually I have a bunch of uh, reproductions of treaty coins that I actually show my class. It would have taken way too long to pass them out, but if you want to see one, come and see me at the university. I have a box full of them, uh, and I'll show them to you. This is an example of one that is a very well-worn coin. Uh, and so... Indigenous people who were f whose families were part of that signing take great pride in the fact that they are part of the promise, part of the obligation, part of the agreement. 
So you can see this is a gentleman who's got it covered. His rings are treaty coins. Uh, this is an image of a treaty coin that you can actually put into wax. Uh, and then he wears the treaty coin. Most of the time, I don't see uh, people at meetings that I've been to with this much bling, because this is actually treaty bling to the max. Uh, usually, they are wearing the treaty coin. Uh, and the treaty coin says that they come from a nation that actually marked and recognized the treaty and holds that obligation proud. Now, it's hard to see everything that I saw there. What I would like to do is go into a little more detail of what the treaty coin looks like. And if you look at the treaty coin, the reason why I pass them out into my class is because from this distance, uh, particularly you in the back, I'm sorry, but it's hard to see there. There's a couple of things that I want to point out to you, though. Uh, the first is that if you look here, uh, the indigenous individual, uh, behind him there is an entire group, well I'll ask you guys, what do you see in the front, what do you see behind him? Teepees, there is home, right, it is a community. Every piece of the land that he is connected to is about community. It is about how he is tied to his community. For the Western individual, um, and I don't know where he would be from in the West, that's the most unusual looking Westerner I've ever seen. Um, what do you see behind him? The rising sun. And this, though, it, I always have to explain this to my 19-year-old classes, or classes of 19-year-olds. Um, what does the sun rising represent? A new day, a new life. Anyone in here ever heard the phrase, the sun never sets on the British Empire? This was part of that recognition and understanding that they were creating an empire where the sun never set. Through colonization, what was happening is there was nowhere on the planet that the British Empire did not have the sun rising. Now, well, but as it set somewhere, it was rising somewhere else on the empire. There was never a time that the sun was not, that the light was not on the empire. Um, now, the one last thing I'd like to point out uh, before I move into the next section, anyone, can anyone see what that is there? A stick and a gun. Stick and a gun? Close. It is a stick, but it's actually a hatchet. So it is where they buried the hatchet. Oh, look at that. All of this in this little coin. Now, one of the interesting things is that the coin is actually perfectly symmetrical, half and half. So it was about sharing the lands. They had different understandings of why the land would be shared, but it was about sharing the land. And they were going to share the land 50-50. That's what this picture represents. Does that all make sense to everyone? That this is about sharing the land 50-50 in friendship. No more war, we're going to bury the hatchet. These are all important ideas because of the fact that that becomes the story that we see in the treaties, in the signed documents, and in the negotiations that we will talk about. Now, the strange part about on a coin, a couple of strange things. One, what do we usually think of with coins? Why do you get a coin? It's currency. 
It's government, it's what you're selling, and government becomes an important one because one, the important thing is that there's currency. Currency is involved, not for the indigenous. You saw how the gentleman took his coin and made it into rings, made it into jewelry. It's because for him the obligation was important in the last slide. Here, there is an ambiguity, there's some confusion. Well, is it a coin that I can buy stuff with, or is it sort of a, a ceremonial coin? And that wasn't quite answered, except for the fact uh, the, the, the young woman over in the corner said that it was about government. Well, if we flip the coin, everything underneath the coin is about the queen, about the crown. That's the only obligation that we see. Uh, so it stops being a 50-50 split of sharing the land. It's that the underlying title to everything suddenly belongs to the crown. It's not about the relationship of sharing. It's about something very different than that. Now, I told you before that the treaty, that in, when we were talking about treaty, what the West was asking for was that it be on the paper. It be on contract. It be a contract, that it's, we're going to sign it. And I'm going to show you what that signature looked like. But the interesting thing, I practiced law for almost 10 years. The interesting thing about, and I was a corporate commercial litigator for a large part of it, and then I did copyright and art law uh, where I wrote contracts. And the interesting thing about law as a litigator is it doesn't matter what the contract says. My job was to actually find the exception, to create the difference in the rule, to bend it to a place where uh, it didn't actually fit. So we say we want the contract because we want certainty, but then what happens is there's nothing but what's included on the page. That's the entirety of the contract. Oh, except when we're doing an adhesion, except when we're going to add a part to it later, or when we're doing an alteration, which we will change the contract a little bit, sometimes with the parties knowing, sometimes without, except for variations to the contract. We do variations to the contract all the time. Uh, and there are a book. I have an actual book of exceptions to contract certainty. So contracts are absolutely certain in law, except for when they're not. Now, when the Blackfoot talk about treaty, we're in Treaty 7, let's talk about the Blackfoot. They talk about two very different ideas about treaty. And uh, for your benefit and for mine, because I'm going to have to go back to the school and Shaw is watching and this is going to go out. So there are a number of Blackfoot who will see this. I'm not going to try to say these uh, because inevitably I will do it an injustice. Uh, but the first one... In Blackfoot, uh, this is by Peter Standing alone. This is one description of treaty. And for him, when he talks about Blackfoot treaty, what he says, it's doing something in Blackfoot, which involves, one, the buffalo, uh, and two, transfer. So it's about the gift or the give and get that the buffalo did. It's because for the Blackfoot, what they're recognizing is the relationship that the Blackfoot nation has with the Buffalo nation. That the Buffalo nation give up themselves and get something in return. That the Blackfoot recognize themselves as stewards of the Buffalo nation. But there is a nation-to-nation -nation relationship. They just have a different idea of what nation is. 
They do recognize that it is two sides working to achieve a common goal. That becomes important as we look at contract and treaty. Uh, the second part is Shirley Crowshoe prevents, provides a different one which says that in, the idea of in, uh, represents to do something in Blackfoot again, but more importantly it involves making peace. So the transfer also has something about making peace. So peace with the, Black, with the Buffalo Nation. And the Blackfoot have stories of when that peace was broken between the Blackfoot and the Buffalo Nation. And what happens is the Buffalo up and left. If you're not going to play by the rules, we get to go and move somewhere else. And the Blackfoot created bundles to say, we apologize, we will recognize and affirm the relationship we have, our obligations. That becomes, so this is how the Blackfoot look at it. I'm a contract lawyer. I'm a common law lawyer. So what we do is an agreement between lawful objects voluntary ent voluntarily entered into by two or more parties uh, to create one or more legal obligations, legally enforceable promise or undertaking to, to do something or to not do something. So my question to you is, they do say the same thing. Wasn't this one way easier? Let's make peace. Let's work together. Uh, let's give and get. Uh, or I can throw this at you. Now the reason why we were talking earlier about what a lawyer in Vancouver gets paid, and the reason why lawyers, any lawyers in the audience? No? Okay. Uh, so I practiced law for a very long time. The reason why lawyers get paid exorbitant amounts is because we're the only ones who understand what we're talking about. Contracts are either written, tangible documents, so the contract that we saw, the parchment, or they're oral agreements. We don't have to write down, in our law, in Western law, we don't have to write it down for it to be a contract. There are certain parts that are necessary for a contract. Elements of a contract, let's throw the lawyer at you. Offer and acceptance by competent persons, exchanges, consideration to create mutually Mutuality of obligation with intention, otherwise known as an agreement. Hurts your head, doesn't it? Let's make it easier. If I give you an offer and you accept it, and then you give me some sort of consideration, or rely on the offer and the acceptance, we've made a contract. Way easier, right? There has to be three certainties in any contract. Uh, intention of mind, so we have to know what we're contracting for. We have to recognize that we're contracting for the same thing. We have to know how long we are ob obliging ourselves, how long we're going to be responsible. So uh, normally now there is a limit to 99 years on any contract. You can only contract for 99 years, that's why you have 99 year leases all the time. Uh, normally what you'll see in a contract is for the next 20 years, for the next five years, for the next... We also have one that says, for as long as the grass grows, the rivers flow and the sun shines. How long is that? Past global warming. Yeah, right. So forever, right? We all recognize when I say that, we are certain of what that means. It means forever. We are contracting this forever. Oh, the last is the parties. 
who is agreeing to be bound, right? And normally, I have to be part of it if you're going to bind me to it, right? I have to be one of the parties if I'm going to be bound by it. We're not going to deal with the ways around it because time is short. Uh, but I did say, uh, and if you want to know about mistake and all of that, you can come and talk to me after. I'm happy to. Uh, I used to get paid by the word, uh, so more than happy to. Uh, I, don't, I don't charge by the word anymore, though. Um, but we did talk about that it was a contract. So everyone understands a little bit about contract. It's an offer and acceptance with consideration or reliance. That's a contract. I said it was between sovereign nations. So nations, uh, the only one I want you to look at. So there's all kinds of variations. There's a civic, there's ethnic, there's all kinds of these. All of them will point to this idea that I have bold italics. They are a group of individuals that have a common language, religion, culture, history, territory, and ethnicity. Put those together and you have a nation. Sovereign. Again, um, let's just look at the top one because the, um, this is the important part. So sovereign is a permanent population with a defined territory, one government, and a capacity to enter into relationships. This is why people get confused around the idea of sovereign and nation all the time. There are two very separate ideas, but we get confused because there are people that are a population that have a territory. Both of those fit into the same categories. The rest of it, all I want you to remember is that if you have a population in a territory with a common culture, common language, that is, that is what you need to make a treaty. Now let's get to treaty. The first treaty that we dealt with, uh, that we have to look at, is uh, the Lemaire Treaty. Uh, now the Lemaire Treaty was between, uh, all otherwise known as the Horse Creek Treaty. This is because there wasn't enough grass for the horses, so they moved them down, to the creek, down the creek where there was enough for the horses to eat. Um, but this was signed at Fort Lemaire uh, in 1851 and signed on September 17th between the United States Treaty Commissioner and represents representatives of the Cheyenne, the Sioux, the Arapaho, the Crow, the Assiniboine, the Mandan, um, the Hidatsa, and the Arakara nations. One of the things that it says is that the territory of the Blackfoot nation, commencing from uh, and then there are a number of places that describe where the territory of the Blackfoot Nation happens. Anything here seem confusing based on what we've learned about contract already? The Blackfoot aren't here. The Blackfoot are listed. The Blackfoot territory is defined, but the Blackfoot weren't at Lemary. But suddenly we had Blackfoot territory. We knew where the Blackfoot territory was. The Blackfoot and these nations always knew. So the Sioux said, well, those were, that's where the Blackfoot are. And they signed it and made it into a contract, made it into law, made it, put it on the parchment. Uh, the other thing I usually point out to my classes is none of these terms, so uh, Muscle Shell River, Missouri, Missouri is the exception because uh, it is an Indian term or an Aboriginal term, the Rocky Mountains, Yellowstone River, uh, Five Yard Creek, 
25 yard creek, those are not indigenous terms, not from an indigenous language, and so probably not necessarily anywhere that they would have been able to describe. Uh, the second is the Lame Bull Treaty. Now the Lame Bull Treaty um, said that since we know where Blackfoot territory is from the first treaty, we're going to actually create a treaty that is about peace and, friend, pre, peace and friendship, uh, and it will be between the Blackfoot, the Flathead, uh, the Nez Perce, and the Cree nations to establish neutral hunting grounds between the Blackfoot, Blackfoot people and other southern nations, addressing hunting, peace, um, but it addresses the lands that were assigned specifically to the Blackfoot and now puts other nations within that treaty arrangement. The Lambeau promises uh, Blackfoot homeland, uh, common, hunting, uh, common hunting ground for 99 years, at which point it was supposed to revert back to just the Blackfoot, uh, safe passage uh, for U.S. officials and citizens, uh, that a postal service, there would be roads, um, advancement of, uh, so basically the important part is it wasn't recognized as a land surrender, but a peace and friendship treaty. Uh, that's because the Northwest Mounted Police were brought in. They addressed two things. They addressed uh, settler populations coming over and taking over uh, land in Blackfoot territory, and they addressed the whiskey trade, uh, and they got rid of the whiskey trade. However, they, were, they did a very good job, and the Blackfoot were happy with it, so they signed the treaty. However, what happened was, uh, in 1862, shortly after the treaty, less than five years after the treaty, a couple of things happened. One, uh, gold was found, uh, and two, the buffalo started to disappear. So what happened is one guy found some gold by panning. He was panning for gold. Uh, that caused more people to come looking for the gold that he found when he was panning. That caused more people to come in and towns to be created, uh, and the Northwest couldn't control that. Now, with that many people, something happened to these huge herds of buffalo that were here. Uh, oh, that wasn't supposed... Oh, is that they shrunk down. This, the herd shrunk down. Now, when the herd shrunk down, what happened was uh, they started to harvest them, and so this is pelts of buffalo stacked that high. You can see the man sitting on top. Uh, this is why the buffalo disappeared this time. So Treaty 7 was created saying, we need help again. Uh, Peace and Friendship Treaty. Uh, all agreed that it was on friendly terms. It was about not fighting anymore, not be just between the settlers, uh, but between the indigenous nations that were in the territories. It was about hunting and gathering uh, and, and securing the territory. What it promised, uh, uh, indigenous benefits, were money, unrestricted hunting, education, medical assistance in the medicine chest, um, and then some rations. Now, the rations were about har harvesting tools, uh, seeds, uh, things like that. The whites were, the benefits to the white settlement were access to lands and peace, no more fighting. This is what the treaty looks like. These are the signatures uh, on the treaty. Uh, we're not going to address this. The only one I want you to look at is the term on the top, the crown. Uh, what the benefit to the crown was that the Blackfoot would cede, release, surrender, and yield up to the government of Canada all rights, titles, privileges to their hunting grounds. Now, they just got their hunting grounds. Their hunting grounds were affirmed in the treaties, but they yield, cede, and surrender. To me, oh, and the last part I want to address is 50,000 square miles 
was what the amount was. So if you're questioning about what 50,000 square miles, because in my head I can't do it, here it is. Uh, it's however many billion square inches, here square feet, square yards. It's 640 acres. It's 2560 roods. Uh, and then I've broken it down for metric for anyone who's moving in that route. Um, this is where the treaty is. Treaty 7's right there. That's the small part. These are all the numbered treaties. As you can see, the treaties got larger, the chunks of land. I am ending right here. What I want you to end, what I want to end with is the idea. As I pointed out to you a number of times, it was about a group that were told throughout their time together. Let's go back for just quickly. The coin was confusing, right? Because the coin was about commercial. The coin was about commodifying. You could buy stuff with a coin, but it was also this symbol. Well, to me, the more confusing one is that we told the populations. Populations were told across Canada, what we want you to do is become agricultural. We want you to seed the land. We will give you oxen to seed the land because you'll have an oxen team. We will give you seeds to seed the land. We want you to become agricultural. We want you to become farmers. We want you to seed the land. Now seed is an agriculture. It's about planting. It's a Lockean method of acquiring property. If you seed the land, you own the property. That's what John Locke teaches us. Seed the land and the land is yours. If you put seeds in the land and get them to grow, if you put your effort in and you can't pull it out, then you own the land. John Locke taught us that. Seed, the other seed, the seed that was in the confusing quick last term I showed you, also means in law to give up. Uh, so if you seed the land in a Western legal, you're discarding the property, you're giving up the property. So what we said uh, in our treaty talks was we want you to seed the land with seeds, and then we want you to seed the land, give it up. Uh, so you are going to seed the land so you can have the land, but then you're going to seed the land so you give it up. I have uh, 10 years of law at the university. I've got three law degrees. I have practiced law for 10 years, and I'm confused when I look at seed, 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 seed. The last part is that these here, the last three you see on each side, are all spellings for seed. So thank you very much. Uh, I'm going to end with a quote by Louis, Louise Crop-Eared Wolf, which says, We believed and understood that we would share this territory amongst each other. We also believed that the land could not be given away because of its sacredness. Therefore, it did not belong to us or to anyone else. The earth was put there by our creator for only our benefit and our use. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking with you.